This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, December 11th, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster, only working from my home in Montana. Uh, we have Adrian, we have Sarah, we have Taylor. Guys, anything happen over the weekend in baseball? Uh, I don't think so, Buster. I mean, I was sitting around, I was waiting for you to, to tell me I got to do an emergency podcast, and I never got that text, so, you know, li- life went on. Uh, wait a second here. So on Friday, <laughs> the way we left it was... Uh, I don't know. Or was that the previous weekend? Because my read on you was, let's not do a pot over the weekend. So that's why I was like, okay, Monday morning, eight o'clock here in Montana. <laughs> let's do it. Am I, am I am I reading that right? You're you're correct. You're you're reading it correctly, and it shows that you are a podcasting veteran because a show on a late on a Saturday night would do nothing for us. So better now than then. We're covering it. Look at you, Buster. I, I love you playing program director over there. <laughs> well, and you know, the good thing is by waiting until Monday, it's allowed me to talk to a lot of people to try to cut through the unbelievable amount of BS that we've seen out there over the last four days. And I'm going to say right now, I-, I try to cut to the heart of it. I don't know if I can, because there's just so much disinformation that's been put out there covering tracks. It's crazy. I mean, the the whole Blue Jays saga was oh. just wild. And I, you know, I had people texting me being like, is, is it the, really the Blue Jays? Is it really the Blue Jays? And I was like, until I hear from my man Buster, I don't think so. Like, I, I, that was really what I thought at the time. I was like, I haven't heard anything from Buster. Like, that. so that means, like, we're not readying the boats to do the podcast. So, like, I don't know. It seemed off to me. And well, I'll ultimately give you an was. example of that. And one example, and I got a lot of stuff. And that's why I text you. I'm like, we got to get Jeff Passon on and compare notes. Because I'm sure he was doing the same thing I was, just trying to talk to people to cut to the core of what happened. One uh, person who uh, played with Otani I talked to over the weekend told me this. He said, when I heard that Otani's plane was leaving 930 Pacific time, I knew it was BS because Otani is the hardest sleeper ever. Like he sleeps till one o'clock. So this guy who knows Otani was like, there's no chance He's getting on a plane on last Friday at nine o'clock in the morning because that's not Otani. Like <laughs> there were a lot of people observing this from afar who know Otani or with other other teams who had a lot of great observations about it. So it was fascinating. In the end, he winds up with the biggest contract uh, in baseball. But we talk about disinformation. I'm not comfortable saying it's a seven hundred billion dollar deal. And I'm going to be talking with Jeff about that. The bottom line is. Shohei Otani gets the biggest contract in the history of baseball. Uh, He signs with the Los Angeles Dodgers, which is what we thought was going to happen all summer. Uh, And uh, I'm going to talk to Jeff about that. We'll talk to Sarah Langs about that today. And we're going to be talking with Paul Ambikides about that. Brian Cashman the other day in meeting with reporters talked about the deal uh, for Juan Soto. He said that he wanted to keep the Yankees uh, as the mecca of baseball and work toward that end. The Red Sox scrambling in what is a quickly uh, thinning market for position players traded for Tyler O'Neill of the St. Louis Cardinals, sending two pitchers to St. Louis. The Braves have been moving money around during the course of this offseason. They acquired David Fletcher, infielder, catcher Max Stassi from the Angels, uh, and they immediately flipped Stassi to the Chicago White Sox. Will Smith and the Royals agreed to a one-year, $5 million deal. Austin Hedges goes back to the Guardians one year, $4 million to be their backup catcher. 
The Marlins got Christian Bethencourt in a trade with the Guardians. He becomes their backup catcher. And the Tigers agreed to a one-year deal with Andrew Chafin for $4.25 million. Taylor, what did you do over the weekend? Hanging out with Bill Belichick, it sounds like. Yeah, Bill Belichick, Sarah Abbott, Patty Abbott, Reese Davis, uh, Pete Thamel, Pat McAfee, your guy. Uh, very nice gentleman. We had a good time on the set of College Game Day uh, for Army-Navy and Foxborough. Um, we talked about that on the College Game Day podcast, which we just recorded. Um, some good, you know, so me and Sarah, we get to we get to the set and we're talking to Reese and we're like, you think Bill's going to give you anything good? And he's like, I think he will. I think he will. And then he surprised uh, everyone on set by pulling out this uh, Navy helmet from the 60s and threw it on next to Coach Corso. Corso's wearing the Navy robe. Like it, it was, they were absolute scenes, man. It was a lot of fun. That's what's maddening about Belichick, right? He's really smart, uh-huh. and he can give you so much. There's so much perspective there, which is why when he does that, well, we're on. We're on moving <laughs> on to Cleveland. That yeah. it drives you crazy. Uh huh. He's got a personality. He's he's kind yes. of a fun guy deep down. Deep down. A hundred percent. And you know it's there. It drives you crazy. They pulled it out of him on College Game Day. You can listen to the whole story on the College Game Day podcast. Watch it on YouTube or listen on this platform. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Jeff Passing covers baseball for ESPN, which means over the last week or so, talking a lot about Shohei Otani, who gets the biggest contract in baseball. Uh, Jeff, we have so much to break down. Uh, have you recovered? Like, uh, I can't even imagine how much time you spent on the phone here the last three days. It's been a lot, but you know what? The, like, that's okay. The, this time of year, I want to talk baseball and I want to talk free agency and trades and contracts. This is supposed to be exciting. And it's final, like it's finally moving, which is the really exciting part because I've been sitting around twiddling my thumbs for the better part of a month, just awaiting 
Otani signing and eventually soon enough Yamamoto signing. And when that happens, you know, it, it's going to go in a hurry. And, and I think by the time probably mid January comes along, we're finally going to have most of the major moves taken care of and accounted for. All right. You and I have so much fun digging into the fine print of all this and the contract and the valuation and who got used, who didn't get used, how the, all that happened. But let's go big picture. What does this mean for baseball that Otani goes to the Dodgers with this contract? The most talented player any of us has ever seen and arguably the best player of all time is going to one of the jewel franchises of the sport. And I think what this means short term for the Dodgers is that this organization that's won 10 of 11 National League West titles, that's been to three World Series, that's won one World Series over that span, just got a whole lot better. And I think what this means in a larger picture is that the Dodgers are trying to own Japan in an era when among Otani and Yoshinobu Yamamoto and Roki Sasaki and Munetaka Murakami and all of this, I'm not going to call it a golden generation, but it's a really good generation of young Japanese talent. Uh, the Dodgers are making their mark in Japan to the point where they want to be synonymous with baseball over there. They want to, you know, they, they want the Dodger hat to be the same in Japan as the Yankees hat is here in the United States, which is ubiquitous. And, and that ubiquity will play itself out, I think, over a long period of time, Buster. And so while this is an investment in the short term for the Dodgers, bringing in the best player, and by the way, I'm going to say pretty good investment once we get a sense of the deferrals and just how much money is deferred. I don't think it's going to be nearly uh, as obscene a contract as it seems right now. This is also a long-term play for the Dodgers uh, where it is going to be a really beneficial thing, I think, for a generation of young Japanese kids who are growing up watching Dodgers games, getting up in the morning and seeing them before they go to school. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the same way that Jason Dominguez, when he was signing, wanted to be a New York Yankee because right. he grew up watching Jason Giambi. I think there's going to be a young boy named Shohei in Japan who watched up uh, who grew up watching the Dodgers and is going to be incredible at baseball and will want to sign with the Dodgers because of that. So just on the face value, and you and I are going to get into the numbers of the contract in a bit, but just on the taking the face value, uh, Otani is going to make as much as the Baltimore Orioles paid out for their entire roster last year, basically. And so you and I know that behind the scenes, they're going to be small market teams. They're going to throw their hands up like, what are you kidding? You know, John Angelos talked last year about the cost of players. I'm sure that uh, this contract for them was something that's hard to swallow. But I do think that no doubt it's great for baseball that Otani's in a big market. Look, we talked for years about how Mike Trout, maybe the greatest player of all time at one point, you know, certainly the best player in the sport. The fact that nobody got to see him in October. And now we're yeah. assured of Otani playing in these big games, as you mentioned. I, I, you know, I have some cognitive dissonance here. I live in Kansas City. Right. I grew up in Cleveland. I know the plight 
of the small market baseball fan. My my son, who's 16 years old, much smarter than I am, who plays baseball and is good at it, said a couple days ago, I hate baseball. I was like, why do you hate baseball? He's wow. like, yeah, he's like, you know, I don't feel like the Royals have the opportunity to compete. And I said to him, well, what about the Rays? They, you know, they compete. What about the Orioles? They compete there. You know, you can compete in a low revenue environment, but let's look at what baseball is telling the small market fans right now that the best players, whether it is Otani Yamamoto or otherwise, are Bobby going Witt to go- Jr. Bobby Witt Jr., who your son is following very closely. Yes. And and, you know, whether the whether the Royals sign him to a contract is is the sort of thing that the the entire future of the franchise hinges on right um but but he also looks at the draft lottery like the royals were so terrible last year and now they're picking sixth how how is this fair and i think it's a it's a perception thing among small market fans i think we can look i don't disagree with you and your premise for generally speaking the sport of major league baseball Having Otani in a larger market with one of those marquee teams is a generally good thing. But I don't think we can look past the, the psychological effect that this has on small market fans and this being the sort of thing that pushes them away or at very least makes them say, uh, you know, how can I believe my team uh, that I invested so much time in that I root for every single day? can possibly compete in this place when you have the NFL, the NBA, and the NHL all with salary caps. It's like the salary cap is this psychological element that has burrowed itself into fans' heads to suggest that there is more competitive balance with it. Now, reality doesn't play out that way. And and as somebody who appreciates the fact that baseball players get paid what they do because they have such unique talent the idea of limiting what they get or what portion that they get i think is is a ridiculous thing and is not going to happen we're not going to see salary cap in baseball anytime soon no um you know what'll be interesting buster i think when we get the full valuation of otani's contract after we know how much is deferred how long is it deferred for what is the net present value of the deal? I think we, you know, we need to go around and ask all of our sources, would you have done this? And I think a vast majority of teams, even in small markets, are going to say that they would have done this deal because the 700 number in present dollars is going to be so much lower. So along those lines, this is what I was going to ask you. You know, I, I, uh, knowing that the deferred money is going to be huge. And you're right. We need to see the fine print before we know exactly where those numbers are going to fall. I said to the sports center producers yesterday morning, I said, look, you guys are going to do what you're going to do, but I'm telling you right now, I'm not comfortable saying this is a $700 million deal because I feel like I'm feeding into the disinformation uh, about this, you know, and I was well, trying to- and, and that's the- no, no, I, I'm glad you brought this up because I, listen, I wanted to have a meeting with, Rachel Ulrich, our boss, and and David Kraft, who runs the news desk at ESPN, and discuss how do we refer to this contract? Because yes. Here, here is the reality. 
Here's where I landed, Jeff. Here's where I landed real quick before before I told him, I said, I'm comfortable saying the agent has says this is a $700 million deal, but I'm not endorsing the idea that it's a $700 million deal. Okay, go ahead. In the end, Buster, when it is all said and done, whether it is in 2035, 2045, however long it is, the Los Angeles Dodgers are going to have cut checks to Shohei Otani before taxes and all of the other things union dues are taken out, that will total $700 million. That's a fact. At the end of the day, he is going to be paid $700 million by the Dodgers. So technically speaking, it is a $700 million contract. Now, if we change how we report this, do we not need to do the same with every single other contract out there that includes deferred money? Do we not have to adjust it? Do we have to bring net present value in these accounting terms into a general population that frankly doesn't care? Like that's a, you know, th this is gonna be the discussion we have and I don't know what the answer is to it, but it sometimes not complicating things is the best thing as a journalist that you can do. And it severely complicates things to start talking about, okay, well, this is how it counts against the CBT. This is how it counts by the union's accounting. But the union's accounting is going to be different than MLB's accounting or than the team's accounting. You can determine net present value in so many different ways that coming upon that one agreed upon number is an impossibility. I mean, is, isn't it Paul Beeston who said, I can make a, a $2 million profit look like a $2 million loss under generally accepted accounting principles? It's the same thing here. And so we're in this very gray area where figuring out exactly what the right number is, is damn near an impossibility, which is why for CAA's sake, that 700 number looks pretty darn good and may end up being where we land in the same way that NFL reporters talk about Patrick Mahomes' contract, even if it's not guaranteed, as the first $500 million deal in sports. Yeah, and so just to put, uh, you know, just to, some of the, uh, the foundation of what Jeff was talking about, uh, a lot of the money is believed, more than half of the money, yes, Jeff, is believed yes. to have been deferred in this contract. We And we won't know for sure until we see the fine print. Uh, I just had a special announcement here. Uh, I'm going to donate a billion dollars, Jeff, to your favorite charity, okay? The fine I appreciate that. that. It's going to be one penny a year for the next yeah. 100 billion years. <laughs> That's kind of what we're talking about here. And I want to make it clear, too, this is not the first time, and you, you, you referenced this, not the first time this happened. Like there's so many examples through baseball history where money's deferred. When I covered the Orioles, Peter Angels loved deferred money in his contract. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago when Freddie Freeman left the Braves, uh, you know, his agency negotiated a deal with the Dodgers that had a lot of deferred money. But part of the reason, I believe, that they structured the deal the way they did was to make the deal look a little bigger than it actually was because of the ugliness in his departure with the Braves. And this yep. deal, the deal structure, uh, allows uh, Nez, his agent, to go out and basically say, I was the first agent to hit the number five at 500 million. The first agent to hit the number six at 600 million. The first agent to hit the number seven at 700 million. But in the end, the actual valuation, present day value, might be closer to 500 or 550 million.
Might be lower than that. Yeah. And so what I'm hearing from teams, and I actually, you know, working on a story about this now, other teams are like, look, if the Dodgers want the agent to go out and they're okay with the agent going out and making this announcement on the valuation of the deal, then their feet should be held to the fire and it should be $70 million a year in the, you know, according to the collective bargaining tax. So what what this does, Buster, I want to I want to contextualize why this is important beyond just what the value is. Yes. Um, there, there are two ways to look at this. Number one is through CBT, competitive balance tax, luxury tax, whatever you want to call it. The second is through NPV, net present value or total cash flow. The number I believe that Shohei Otani is going to be charged on the CBT is going to be somewhere between 40 and $50 million. I, I, you know, we don't know what the schedule of deferrals looks like, but either way, normally a CBT number is based on the average annual value. So you're thinking 70 million for this. No, it is not going to be 70 million. Not so close. That Dodgers, not close. Like, give the Dodgers like an extra 20 to $25 million to work with potentially. Um, and look, the Dodgers aren't, you know, they've never been afraid to spend in the past, but this is essentially uh, Otani saying, build around me and and use your resources. And one of the reasons he wanted to go to the Dodgers in the first place was because I think, you know, from his perch 30 miles south in Anaheim for six years, he saw them churn out player after player after player after player and their, their player development systems better than everyone else's. They are just the best run franchise in baseball. And they also happen to have an extraordinary amount of money. And, you know, it's, it's some like Yankees prime death star stuff. The NPV part is interesting because let, let's say hypothetically, I, I I'm saying right now, I don't know these numbers, but let's say hypothetically that Otani were deferring 45 and making 25 a year. The Dodgers wouldn't necessarily be spending only 25 in that moment because the way that baseball system works is that when you are deferring money that money gets discounted there's a discount rate applied to it so this discount rate depends on the prime rate right and let's say that that 45 that's deferred um is 25 or 30 in net present value the dodgers still need to take that money that number, the NPV number of what that is worth right now and set that aside. And they need to do that because organizations can't be pushing all of this debt off for the future and ending up you know, in a, in a potential situation where they owe so much money that they're underwater because of it. So they do have to fund the debt and, and the deferrals going forward, but they don't have to fund them fully, which again, gives them more cash flow to go out and spend on players. So I, I think the upshot is this is going to be an advantageous deal, despite the $700 million number for the Los Angeles Dodgers. The question at this point, Buster, is only how advantageous is it really going to be? All right. So big picture, do you think that he was going to the Dodgers all along? Because I believe that and that he essentially in CA and this is not unusual uh, either. Uh, teams do it in making trades. 
uh, agents do it in negotiating contracts, effectively lose, use the Blue Jays to push the Dodgers to get to a place where they wanted to with the contract. That's what I believe happened. What about you? I think it all depended on what the Dodgers were willing to offer. I think if the Dodgers you know, took for granted that he wanted to go there and lowballed him or didn't court him or or gave off a bad vibe about it or kept asking about the elbow like what do you think you pitching you pitching you pitching i mean if if they went about this the wrong way i can't fathom that his love for the dodgers was was so great and so deep that he would have looked past these red flags but i also think that something we've seen from the dodgers and seen from andrew friedman is he's really good at recruiting and I think the Dodgers uh, probably in Otani's head checked off the most boxes, right? Um, they were in Southern California, a place that he enjoys being. They are a winning franchise. They have money. They do player development well. They get tech and they apply tech and sports science and knowledge in a really calculated, intelligent, player-friendly way. All of these things are what Otani was looking for. Um, but that didn't make it a fait accompli, I think. The the Dodgers couldn't just like sit there, you know, smoking a cigar and drinking a scotch and say, you're signing with us uh, right. because we are who we are. There was still courtship involved here. And I think when that courtship went well, it cemented the decision in his mind. And I, I'm going to be very curious to hear his answer to this question when we have a press conference, which is expected at some point this week. What do you make of this from the Blue Jays' perspective as they move forward? Because uh, I think you're talking about a desolate situation. Part of the thinking of the Yankees last week, I know, and making the deals for Verdugo and Soto was, boy, we better grab guys uh-huh. because the market is so bad. Yep. And the Blue Jays, you know, sitting there, uh, you know, talking about Otani, which was the best way for them to improve their lineup. Uh, because he was a free agent addition. They don't have a great farm system. They couldn't match the Yankees in terms of the depth of starting pitching to make a deal for Soto. So they played it out with Otani, hoping that it would work out. And now that it didn't, and we sit here today, they're in a two-year window before Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette are headed into free agency. They need three bats in that lineup, and it is a terrible position player market, which is really good news for Scott Boris as he negotiates for Cody Bellinger. I I feel so bad for Toronto. I feel so bad for the fans there. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it's a really good baseball market. Like I, I don't, I don't care what anyone else says about it being a hockey. I know it's a hockey town. I understand that, but there are very few places, Buster, that I've been that get as loud as Rogers Center. And I understand part of that is like a function of the dome. But man, those those Bautista and Carnacion led teams, um, they were so much fun, and they had the fans there so engaged. And and I understand why they wanted Otani. He was going to put this franchise back on the map in a way that neither Guerrero nor Bichette nor anyone there has been able to. And when you compound the $300 million invested 
in renovations at Rogers Center with the $100 million spent down at the complex in Dunedin with the ticket price raise that they are having right now uh, with the ignominious end to their postseason in 2023 with Jose Barrios being yanked early on. Um, oh my goodness. It's, it's a bad, it's like one of those uh, fantasy football punishments where, <laughs> oh, where you, my, my, uh, on the way to the Chiefs game yesterday, my uh, my child's friend was was talking about how the punishment in his league is you put a bunch of things in a blender and blend them all up. And while each of those things individually uh, may be either okay or not so good, together they are a fetid stew. And that's what the Blue Jays have right now. It is a fetid stew. And they they need someone, but is like... Is Cody Bellinger the guy buster? Is Cody Bellinger the guy who's going to turn around the fortunes of the franchise? I know he had a really good 2023. I love the fact that he is somehow now this guy who's had so many holes in his swing. Like he's a bat to ball guy now. He he cut 10% off his strikeout rate. He was a really good hitter last year. Hit over 300 after not even cracking 200 for, for a couple of seasons there. So I, you know, Cody Bellinger is incredibly talented, and I can see him being a guy who, who is there for a long time and, yes, is part of a championship-caliber team, but he's not Otani, and he's not Soto. And, no, it- when you, and when you miss on both of those, I don't know how it can feel like a successful offseason. I think you're 100% right, and he scares, as you know this. He's, it, they, they love the physical talent. They love the adjustments he made last year, and they're scared to death of a huge investment in him. But I don't know if the Blue Jays necessarily have a choice, but to at least what about the, What about there. the Giants too, Buster? Well, I was just going to say the Giants uh, are right there with them in terms of like desperately needing Cody Bellinger this time. All right, before you go, tell me how you processed what happened uh, with the Otani situation on Friday with all of the, you know, the reports, the, the misreport, it was, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you lots like, because one, one thing that I have learned is know what you don't know. And I didn't know what was going on. And and honestly, it's a paralyzing feeling as a reporter yes. when when everyone you're asking about whether it's to try and confirm reports that are out there or otherwise is just coming back to you with uh, don't know or can't say. Like those are you know those are like the worst things you can hear as a reporter. But I just you know like what what can you do? I, all of us, all of us, Buster, me, you, every person who's been a reporter, we've gotten things wrong. And it's the, it is the, it is the gnarliest feeling in the world. Like there's a pit in your stomach when you realize that you screwed up because this is a job that, I mean, you know, you do everything you can to have a hundred percent success rate. And that's not always going to be possible or realistic, but it's, that's how you have to do it. And so uh, what I've learned is if I don't know, um, you know, that emoji that has 
the right. zipper on the lips. There is nothing to be gained saying something publicly if you don't know. And sometimes there's just no shame in not knowing because uh, as much That's as you try to, as much, you know, as much as you try to, to know everything at all times in this job, um, you just have to come to terms with the fact that you can't. And this was a big one. Like this was a really big one. And uh, I, you know, as much as you always want to be first on information, um, being right is so much more important than being first. And I would rather, uh, I, I, you know, if I had a million wins and one loss, I would trade the million wins to get that one loss back. That's a great way to put it. Uh, I was on radio in Toronto on Friday morning and they asked me, you know, very direct questions, very specific questions. And I felt like a loser saying, I don't know. I know. But that's but you, what you have to say. Yes. That's what you have to say in that situation as opposed to guessing. Uh, and uh, boy, it, it was a crazy day. And I'm still processing sort of what it means for industry going forward. I would say this that and i feel this responsibility when i get one wrong and i hope that everyone i know you probably feel this way too you hurt everybody it hurts everybody if you as a reporter get something significantly wrong yeah uh, and, and look I'll, I'll i'll go back to the the last the last time i really screwed up um is when bryce harper was a free agent and i had gotten word that Magic Johnson had like made a pitch to Bryce Harper. And I believe this to be true. And I asked somebody who would know and was told no. And I I was like this, no, I like, I, I believe the people telling me. And I blew through the stop sign. And, and I learned a really valuable lesson that day. Um, don't blow, not only don't blow through the stop sign, but in that moment, stop and think to yourself, what is what are the consequences if this is wrong versus what do I gain if this is right? And almost always the consequences of it being wrong are far, far, far greater than the benefit you get from it being right. And so just like just from a like a. a I'm not going to do things on a value perspective, but the value perspective should inform you of the way that you need to approach this job where we are in a media environment right now where writ large, we are trusted, uh, you know, less than we have been in a really long time. So it is your responsibility, not just to yourself, to the company for whom you work, yes. but to the entire industry yep. to, to abide by a, a certain perspective where you're trying to, I don't know, you're, you're just trying to convince everybody that, hey, we do this the right way and we do care. And it is so important to us to get it right with the acknowledgement that sometimes, unfortunately, that's just not going to happen. Thanks, Jeff. Always a pleasure, Buster. Thanks for having me. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. 
But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo, of course, is Paul Ambikadis, right-hand man from Mike Greenberg on everything he does. Hembo, how are you doing on this Monday? Buster, I'm doing outstanding. I'm a lot less wealthy than Shohei Otani, but money does not necessarily buy happiness. At least that's what I told my wife after I saw the news of a $700 million contract, which honestly, when I saw it, did not feel like it was even possible or could be real. It, it is an absolute obscene amount of money, but he's the most talented baseball player that ever lived. It was, it's obscene, but not unforeseen. This is Paul Embicades from last January. Give a listen. His agent will be selling a 29-year-old who hits like Frank Robinson and pitches like Pedro Martinez. That guy has the easiest job in the world. And when you extrapolate the value that he has produced over that time, what Fangraph says is that the performance over the last two years equals $140 million per year. Excuse me, $140 million in total, 70 per year. So if we're going to say 10 for 500 is, is our guess from now, what the numbers say is that that is way short of the mark that he is performing on the field. And that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the value you are getting with all of the marketing stuff and the global appeal and everything else. I don't think that number starting with a five buster. And I'm not sure it's starting with a six either. I think Shohei Otani might be much closer to a billion dollars than half a million dollars. Uh, half a billion dollars. What do you think? What do you think? Crazy? I don't know. Closer to a billion than 500 million. I don't think he's getting like 751 million. Like, I don't think he's going to be at that tipping point. Yeah. So I went all Captain Literal on you. Uh, yours, yours was an excellent guess at that moment. Let me ask you you know, you always talk about how uh, Mike Greenberg values you, and maybe the show doesn't value you as much as we should. Were you able to get Mike Greenberg to play that clip to give you street cred on today's show? 
We did play it live on Greeny's radio show at about 11, 10 Eastern today. I do appreciate him doing so. And look, Buster, like people talk about, talk about my uh, you know hits on the podcast all the time, but never in a million years did I believe that we actually could wield this kind of power, this kind of clout. I mean, all that Nez did was clip that segment, sent it to Andrew Friedman, and this thing's been on ice for the last year. <laughs> forget all the interference that they're running. Forget the Shark Tank guy. Forget the fake flight. Forget the Kikuchi uh, – Sushi dinner reservation, forget it all. We called this thing a year ago. So if you're listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast, uh, look, you know you're going to be edified with informed takes a year in advance. Yeah, very nice job with that one. I would ask you this question, and, and I was texting you about this this morning, I, and I talked to Jeff Passon about this. I'm not comfortable calling it a $700 million deal. I am comfortable saying the agent says it's a $700 million deal. What do you think? Yeah, that's right. Um, it's one of those things where like the 700 million is like a really sexy headline and it enables the agent to uh, flaunt it all over the earth. And that's just fine. But my expectation is that functionally, this will actually be somewhere within the realm of reason. Um, I don't think that the Dodgers, as shrewd as they are, would be willing to put $70 million on their luxury tax each year for the next 10 years. And I don't think Otani, for as smart as he is, would want the team that he is on to do that. It doesn't make a lick of sense. I mean, $700 million is an obscene amount of money, as I put it before, and it's going to be an obscene amount of money no matter what the deferrals are. So I'm very curious to see how the calculus all kind of comes out in the wash here. But in the end, I don't think it's going to wind up looking like all that unreasonable for a Dodgers team that, Buster, you and I know have been saving up for this day for years in advance. Yeah, we talked about during the summertime how others in the organization said Andrew Freeman obsessed was the word they used with uh, with Shohei Otani. So do you think he's going to earn this contract? Yes. In fact, I think he already has, Buster, in, in qualitative and quantitative ways. So as I expressed a year ago and as I'll express again now, what the numbers say, like the dollars per war, what that says, that formula says, is that Otani is worth something like $70 million a year right now. Now, obviously, we know that he will not pitch next season, but I have to imagine that Andrew Friedman, as good a baseball guy as he is, and Neil Elitrash, as respected a doctor as he is, would not have signed off on this stuff if they did not believe that Shohei Otani would be a value-positive pitcher and to be a value-positive pitcher pretty soon. But you and I both know that the Otani experience goes far beyond his two-way value. I mean, what the Dodgers have become in one fell swoop is an international version of the Dallas Cowboys. And what Shohei Otani has thus um, produced in one fell swoop is he's next in line behind Lionel Messi to be the most popular athlete on the planet. Uh, I don't think it's hyperbole to say so, Buster. It's very difficult for me to quantify like the enormous value of what getting that guy out of Anaheim is going to do for him and for the Dodgers and for capital B baseball. So my expectation is that Shohei Otani over the next decade hits like Aaron Judge does. And perhaps to some extent, maybe even better, because if he does wind up uh, focusing his attention on just hitting, who's to say that he's just scratching the surface as to what he can be? It's my opinion, like I said in the open, that he's the most talented baseball player ever. But the Dodgers are going to capitalize on his name, image, and likeness as much as any team has ever on any player ever. And for that, uh, it's very difficult to say that they overpaid for the guy who I consider the best baseball player that ever lived. And you saw that play out in first uh, person with your favorite player of all time. Look, by the time he got to 1999, 2000, 2001, Cal Ripken was not close to being the player that he was in his prime when he was winning MVPs. But you know what? People showed up to watch the guy play. Same thing with Derek Jeter. People showed up to watch Derek Jeter play, even when he was 
you know, not hitting 300. He was hitting 250 and he couldn't cover a lot of ground at shortstop. He sort of transcended his own career, so to speak. I think Otani's going to be one of those guys. Does that make sense? A perfect sense. He is um, he is as uh, about as good a brand ambassador as you can have. I mean, this is going to be a guy on opening day that next year that's wearing that, that same cap, that same impossibly white jersey as Sandy Koufax and Jackie Robinson and so many of the other legends that have embraced that uniform for that legacy franchise in baseball. And you couldn't have possibly handpicked a better guy to help you get there. There's also, Buster, like the force multiplier effect, like the Pied Piper effect. Who's to say that Otani's presence on the Dodgers does not net them future free agents? That's one thing that I've experienced with Bryce Harper in Philadelphia. When yeah. they originally signed that contract, I said to myself, 13 years is ludicrous for anybody. But he does have that Pied Piper effect that few guys do have. Like, this guy plays for this team. I want to play with that guy. And I think we can't possibly undersell the enormity of his talent and the enormity of his celebrity. Like, he is the exception to every rule that we have in baseball. And the fact that it is the Dodgers, who I believe is the smartest organization in baseball, that's pulling the trigger, gives me the confidence that baseball fans over the next decade are going to be able to experience the Shohei Otani experience in full. All right. So big picture, what does this mean for Otani, for the Dodgers, for baseball? You can take it anywhere you want to go. So for the Dodgers, Buster, I think in the short term, it's going to provide them an absolutely vicious lineup. I mean, the kind of lineup that baseball has rarely seen. It is my belief that not only are Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and Shohei Otani Hall of Fame talents, they might all be first ballot Hall of Fame talents, hitting yeah. um, one, two, three in that order. I mean, it is going to be an absolute spectacle. Last year, Otani's OPS Plus was 184. Um, Freddie Freeman's was 161, and Mookie Betts's was 163. Only twice in baseball's modern era has a lineup had three players that good. The 1963 Giants with Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, and Orlando Cepeda, and the 1929 Yankees with Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Tony Lazzari. We, we, it is not hyperbole to say that we're talking about a team that could score a thousand runs. Uh, this year, the, the, the Braves got 947 runs. No team has gotten to a thousand runs since the 1999 Indians, but this team could do it. I mean, these guys combined last year for more than a thousand total bases, an OPS of more than a thousand themselves. And if Dave Roberts just stacks them one, two, three in this lineup, it's going to be the kind of thing that we have rarely ever seen. I mean, there is no obvious reason to me why they can't be the best lineup in baseball by a long shot. So that's the next year. And Buster, the year after, with a fully healthy Otani on the mound and a fully healthy Walker Bueller, this team's going to make a run at the 116 wins, which is a single season record. So I think next year we're going to see historic production from the lineup. And the year after that, 2025, we're going to see this team take a real shot at 120 wins. All right. So uh, when we talked about, you know, the last couple of weeks about how you would structure this, if you're Dave Roberts, and I went with in the article that I wrote that you helped me with, I went with Betts hitting one, Otani hitting two, and Freeman hitting three. I've had a second thought about that, which is, uh, you know, you've obviously got the right-handed hitter, then the two left-handed hitters, but here's the unusual usual thing. Boogie Betts, first ballot Hall of Famer. He's kryptonite in his career, left-handed pitchers. And so I almost feel like, yeah, you're, you're kind of creating a path where almost inviting opposing managers to bring in the lefty to face Betts than to face Otani, and I'm, I might completely be guilty of overthinking it. What do you think? Um, I don't think you're overthinking it. This is, look, first of all, this is a, a problem that any manager in baseball history would, love to would have. literally die to have. But I honestly love the idea 
of opening day of Shohei Otani being the first person to walk out that dugout and have throngs of people that have come to the game late. So I guess 10,000 people, 40,000 people, you know, by the time the, you know, the game reaches its third inning and the traffic subsides in Los Angeles being that guy. But what I think is so incredibly instructive, what, what could be, I think what should be said here about the, these three guys on the Dodgers is that they're not the same kind of hitter, that they can do so many cool things. I mean, they combined to steal 57 bases last year. These are doubles and triples hitters. Freddie Freeman controls the bat as well as anybody. Mookie Betts laces the ball gap to, to gap and pulls the ball with, uh, with extraordinary effectiveness. Shohei Otani is going to hit doubles and triples and with, with a much bigger ballpark and less a home run friendly bar, ballpark than the one in which he just played. So I don't think we're going to see these guys hit 50 or 60. Like, I don't think those kinds of things are going to happen, but I think the run scoring that they're, that they're going to be able to generate basically regardless of how you stack the lineup, it's going to be remarkable. I love the idea of Otani hitting leadoff, Mookie Betts hitting second and Freddie Freeman hitting third. But candidly, this is a thing that you just can't possibly get wrong. I'm very intrigued by the idea though of Otani leading off and, and opening day 2025 being your opening day starter too. Well, how about 2024? The first games, of course, that they'll be playing are going to be in South Korea. They're going to be playing as the road team in, uh, you know, against the Padres. So it, it all would almost seem fitting that to lead off the 2024 season could be Shohei Otani coming out of the visitors dugout in South Korea. That would be the Dodgers dugout and going up to the plate. And then after that, maybe the next day you hit bets one, you hit, uh, you know, and that would be against. I'm guessing either you, Darvish, or Joe Musgrove, I'm assuming, yeah. uh, for the Padres. So I think for for opening day, I would love for Dave Roberts to hit Otani one. What do you think? That's a really cool concept. I love the idea. Like, baseball could definitely stand to to add some some showmanship, you know, to its ledger. Like, I think that would be the kind of thing to kick off baseball season that could energize the whole freaking world. Now, obviously, it doesn't much matter. But, like, the symbolism of it, given the fact that this was the year of Otani and then the offseason of Otani, would be very meaningful, especially in that environment, for him to come out of that dugout first, wearing that Dodger blue. I think it'd be extraordinarily cool for baseball and a beautiful, like, kickoff to what I think should be a remarkably fun season, especially if you're a Dodgers fan. Yeah, and by the way, I, I hope, and I know baseball has done this from time to time, I hope they let the Dodgers wear their home uniforms for that game. I understand they're not technically the home team, but you were identifying the home uniform, that absolutely uh, incredible white uniform. That that should be the uniform they wear in those games in South Korea. All right, Hembo, thanks for doing this. Always fun to talk with you. Later, friends. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick of Hembo. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? Okay, now that we know where Shohei Otani is going to play going forward, you know I love to do this. Uh, you are Dave Roberts. You're sitting in his office. Uh, I want you, now that you officially know that Otani is on your team, he's in your lineup, how are you arranging uh, your lineup, the top of your lineup that's involved. Will Smith involves Mookie Betts, involves Freddie Freeman, and Shohei Otani. Where are you going with that? I mean, I feel like you can't go wrong either way as long as Mookie is at the top there. But I think I would have Mookie, Shohei, Freddie, and then Will Smith. But I think Shohei and Freddie could go in either order. But obviously, the most Shohei Otani played parents is the better. So might as well have him in that two spot. So so here's the more that I thought about this, uh, 
that uh, the, and, you know, you know the different factors that might uh, sway Dave in terms of where he ranges them. And I wrote in a piece a couple of weeks ago that I thought that he should go Betts one, Otani two, Freeman three. I'm beginning to think that I might go Freeman two and Otani three. And the reason why is this, you know, Mookie Betts is a future Hall of Famer, but the one bit of kryptonite we've seen with him during his career is he has struggled somewhat against left-handed pitching. And so if you back up Betts and Otani, go back to back in the lineup, that's almost an invitation for opposing teams to bring in left-handed relievers. Now, if you put Betts, Freeman, Otani, you know, Freddie, it really doesn't matter. He's going to hit anybody who's out there. Does that make any sense to you or are you still sticking with the other way? No, it does. I mean, I wonder if that's the lineup for teams that have a really, really good left-handed reliever. Maybe that's more of a postseason lineup in very specific situation. But again, as long as those three guys are at the top, Dave Roberts and the Dodgers are in really, really good shape. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 160. So speaking of that trio, all three of them had at least a 160 OPS plus last year. OPS plus 100th league average. So all of them were at least 60% better than the MLB average in terms of offensive production. Otani 184 because he's Shohei Otani. Mookie Betts 163. Freddie Freeman 161. So if they can do that again at any point during the next few years, there have only been two teams since 1900, there's three guys all qualified with at least a 160 OPS plus in the season. The 1963 Giants with Orlando Cepeda, Willie Mays, and Willie McCovey. And the 1929 Yankees with Lou Gehrig, Tony Lizary, and Babe Ruth. All of these guys are last name only or one name guys. That is an incredible that of you know company that they could join and they fully would believe that they will do this number two so number two is three now another thing about this trail is the fact that they all finished top three mvp voting last year otani winning in the AL, of course unanimously and mookie best finishing second in the NL. Freddie Freeman finishing third in the NL. So the 2024 Dodgers will be the fifth team in history to have three players who all finished top three in MVP voting in either league in the previous season. The teams they joined are the 2004 Yankees, 1967 Orioles, 1960 White Sox, and 1942 Dodgers. So no disrespect to the older teams, but back in the day, the way MVP voting worked was, hey, is your team good? Okay, who are your three best players? So the 67 Orioles, 60 White Sox, and 1942 Dodgers were all instances of guys who had been teammates that prior year on very good teams and all finished one, two, three. The 04 Yankees is probably our best comparison. A-Rod had, of course, won the 03 MVP in the AL, 
where he Prasad finished third in the AL. And they also had Gary Sheffield, who finished third in the AL. So obviously, we've never seen a team quite like this one in any way, as I would describe. But I think that's the best comp here in terms of having those MVP candidates in their prime. Number one. Number one is fourth. So I almost gave this away a second ago. But Shohei Otani is the fourth reigning MVP to change teams that offseason, joining Giancarlo Sandin and 2017, traded from the Marlins to the Yankees after winning that 2017 NL MVP. Alex Rodriguez, who I just mentioned, traded after the 03 AL MVP from the Rangers to the Yankees, and then the only other free agent. MVP in the change team, 1992 Barry Bond, who went from the Pirates to Willie Mason's Giants in free agency. All right, Sarah. So you're the biggest baseball fan on the world. <laughs> I want to hear your backstory about how you were processing everything on Friday afternoon when Otani was theoretically on a plane going to Toronto. You know, paint a picture for me about how often you're refreshing your feed, uh, how you were looking at, uh, you know, tracking information, yeah. or did you have some insight that, you know what, he wasn't going to go. I was telling these guys at the top of the show that uh, they, I talked to a, a former teammate of Otani who said that when he heard that Otani was leaving at 930 Pacific time, he was like, no way. Otani <laughs> never gets up that early. But he's someone who's a hard sleeper. He's a late sleeper. So this player sniffed out the BS early on. I'm curious. So how did you process all that that was That's going on? That's a really good point. I remember reading an article when we talked about how much he values his sleep. He has a customized personal pillow. So that's right. I was, <laughs> I mean, I was refreshing my feet. I wasn't on the flight track or website. I was interested. I won't say I didn't buy in for a bit, but I mean, all along and no disrespect to the other teams that were in it. I mean, it felt like the Dodgers were going to sign him the first time around. I was going through my text conversation with my mom from December 8th, 2017, when he announced he was signing with the Angels. And she had texted me, at least it is in the Dodgers. She is a very big Giants fan, as I mentioned before on this podcast. And that reminded me how much we thought he was going to be a Dodger the first time around. And the other thing I was just thinking was, you know, it, I mean, again, just this idea that it really felt like it was going to be the Dodgers. And the fact that, you know, we see the play tracking thing with college football. I was talking to my boyfriend, Matt, about this, and he was pointing out it's very different when there's a flight from somewhere like Starkville, Mississippi, to Ann Arbor, Michigan. These very specific, smaller college towns going from, what was it, Santa Ana to Toronto is not an unheard of flight path. I know people are saying, oh, no private plane ever does it. Those are major metro areas. These things happen, but I did love the whole story of it landing and being what the guy from that TV show Shark Tank never made like worthy. I mean, that must have been 
such a weird experience for that guy who probably had no idea what was going on on the internet as he was just casually on his flight. Unless he was in on it, which is one of the conspiracy theories, oh right? Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> well, guess what, Sarah? I think in the next couple of weeks, we're going to find out what the name of Otani's dog is. I know. I'm very excited. I was wondering if it might be Ben. We know Tony has a good respect for baseball history. Maybe Dodger. I mean, we know Dodger dogs, different form of dog, are very uh, popular. But I'm very, very excited to find out what it is. All right, Sarah. Well, good to talk with you. And uh, I can't tell everybody what a, how I scared you, but at the beginning of the show, I, I would have <laughs> loved to have seen a heart meter on you with the joke that I played on you at the beginning of this. I appreciate it. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that, but thanks for starting my Monday that way, Buster, and have a good one. Thank you. So as I've talked about in the past, uh, I love to have the, having the producers here sort of be the voice of the fans. And so I'm going to give each one of you, uh, you know, a moment to give me your thoughts about what happened Friday, how you process that, and when you look at Otani's contract, you know, what uh, what comes to mind? Adrian, I'll start with you. I felt like the waiting game was eternal. I was texting Taylor all week and another one of our producers, Dan Stanzik, who is a big Blue Jays fan. When I found out um, when I heard about the plane allegedly going from um, California to Toronto and I was really riling up everyone's anxiety, um, even though they were trying to keep calm, I certainly wasn't helping. And none of us knew what was going on because we were waiting for the news to break. And I remember just getting swept up in all of the internet chatter, but it's actually so great that we waited for this to talk about this during the um, this morning. And it's really a lesson in patience. And I'm actually really looking forward to what the contract actually says about how all of the dollars play out. Sarah? Yeah, definitely. The waiting game felt for like forever, like Adrian said. I think it's hilarious that everyone was saying, oh, he's on the plane. I would love to be a fly on the wall when the Shark Tank guy, Robert's plane landed. And then he's like there and everyone's expecting Otani. And he's like, um, no, <laughs> it's just me. I would have loved to been a fly on the wall for that. That would be nuts. Um, and like Adrian said, a big lesson in patience because waiting until today, we have so much more information. I'm also very eager to see how all the dollars play out. And I think overall, this is going to be very interesting for the future of baseball. Yeah. And Sarah, you know, today, just having conversations with people about, you know, what the Blue Jays did right or what they did wrong. You know, they were the team that was, it feels like was being played uh, to push the Dodgers with their offer. Someone did point this out to me that on Friday, as this was all playing out, the Blue Jays knew that it was BS. Like they're in a position to know. And yet last week we had Dave Roberts basically get slapped around uh, you know, in the public conversation because he mentioned Otani's name out loud. So you know that the Blue Jays privately are thinking, boy, we can't talk about this. But someone mentioned to me, you know what they could have done is to reach out to all their people. And I've had this happen a bunch in my time as a reporter where they call and say, hey, you can't quote a Blue Jays source. You can't talk about where you heard this from. But we can tell you we have nothing scheduled with Otani. Mm -hmm. And all of these reports are a bunch of crap. 
they in that moment had the power to do that, uh, to communicate to reporters rather than this breathless following all afternoon, which fed the, you know, as it turned out to be the false hope of all their reporters. Taylor, what do you think? Buster, I looked at this very simply. I could not have Shohei Otani in the AL East for 10 years. It was an ex- existential <laughs> crisis for me. I love that. And I and I, I felt like the, the Steve Carell meme where he's just like, no, no, no. Like, I just couldn't have it. So until it was confirmed, I truly like Stan, Dan Stanzik's texting me. Adrian's texting me. I've got friends texting me being like, Blue Jays, like, he's going to be on there. And I was like, we, I'm not believing it. I'm not living in a world that is occurring until the, the paper is signed. Like what, like, I, I can't torture myself like that. And it was the right mindset to, uh, to have end uh, in the end there. So. All right. If you're sitting in my, I'm curious because I wanted your perspective on this, the whole question about 700 million. Uh, I believe that when I talk about this contract, the way I should say it is according to the agents, it's a $700 million deal. Like I feel like I need to qualify it. I'm not comfortable just saying Otani $700 million deal. Uh, do you agree with me, Taylor? Yeah. Disagree? You're no, you're not. I, I seriously mean that as an open-ended question. You as someone who's in the media, but also you're a consumer. Yeah. I mean, like, it, I, I think it's, you don't, I mean, you don't want to be a mouthpiece for this agent. We don't know what's in the contract yet. So at, as of right now, yeah, according to the agent, a $700 million deal. Let's see what's in the paper. You know, I think that's yeah. fair. Adrian, what do you think? I mean, yeah, I think uh, you have to qualify it. You have to say that the agent said this and that you have to also say that we're waiting to see the fine print because until then we'll see how uh, I guess credible the agent is Sarah yeah I agree you have to wait to see the fine print because what if he's wrong and like we were discussing earlier he wants to be the first person to have this huge contract and he says it and then it doesn't actually play out that way yeah with the actual real value well I can tell you that people with other organizations are dying to see the fine print on this contract, that's for sure. All right, guys, thank you. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster, Bleacher Tweets for a Monday. Simon Harrow writes, and given all the secrecy was Otani's signing for the Dodgers announced by smoke from the Vatican. (laughs) I like that. Leap. That's good. No, no, it wasn't from the Dodgers. It was just from the agent. The Dodgers actually haven't knowledge is publicly and they announced the $700 million deal uh, before he actually took a physical examination. Think how much they wanted to rush that information out there. Do you think, do you think he's going to have to do a press conference? Uh, Yeah, I think he'll come in, you know, he'll give three, three, uh, he'll answer like two or three questions. And one of them is going to be, what's the name of your dog? Is it in fact Dodger? Because that's a conspiracy theory. (laughs) Where's the dog, Buster? I haven't seen it. Uh, Lee Patrick Sullivan writes, a smart baseball podcaster once said best predictor of future injury is past injuries. Otani has had two horrible deal, clogs up DH for tired position players, screws up pitcher's rotation and he doesn't have to do media locker room cancer according to lee patrick sullivan yeah now i don't think he's a cancer i think that i mean everybody who who uh you know i've talked to teammates talked to people about this over the weekend he's uh you know a, a happy guy like people like him in the clubhouse during games he's totally fun but he's kind of on his own thing and yeah. i think that's what uh you know, the tweeter is is mentioning uh and we talked about that last year he's kind of on his own schedule he's not asked to do a lot I think that'll be fine with the Dodgers because he's got coverage. They've got Freddie Freeman. They've got Mookie Betts. They've got other leaders who will fill in the gaps for Otani. I'm sure that's part of the Dodgers' sale to him. 
Um, the, the big question, and I think it's a fair question that's raised there, is what happens if you get a glorified DH in years 35, age 34, 35, 36? He's making, you know, present day value $50 million a year. At what point does the excitement wear off? I think he's going to be like Albert Pools. I think he's going to be like Cal Ripken, like Derek Jeter, where he's so unique that he'll carry a lot more value later into his career than a lot of players do. Like it felt like Miggy Cabrera was, you know, and he's a Hall of Fame player, but by the end of his career, I mean, he really was giving the Tigers nothing, right? He wasn't like he was selling tickets. I think Otani will sell tickets. Let's go to uh, the Stone King, Brian. He writes in, good for Otani, bad for the Dodgers. They haven't won since 88. 2020 doesn't count. Their biggest need is starting pitching. They signed a DH who will become part a part-time starter at age 31. He will probably only pitch effectively for four or five years. Yep. Brian, to your point, it is interesting that the Dodgers, you know, put out this huge contract and they haven't addressed their pitching at all for 2024. Justin Woodwick writes in, hey, Buster, my brother, Zach, thinks the Tigers are cheap. And what do you think they need to do this offseason to get better? Add more pitching. That's their focus. Talk to sources there. They believe that their group of young position players is pretty good and they're going to be okay. But they lost Eduardo Rodriguez. They need to spend more money. Uh, Maybe not as much as uh, Mike Illich used to spend, but they just need to invest more in their pitching. So it looks like I double copy and pasted Brian Stone King's tweet. I meant to paste Zach Beeson's tweet. I don't have it right in front of me, but he basically, he wants to know what hope there is for his angels. He's been writing to us uh, very sadly for many months now. And uh, what's, what are the hit their prospects? Uh, Here's the bottom line with the angels. They need Mike Trout to be on the field a whole lot more. They need Anthony Rendon to be on the field a whole lot more short of that. It's going to be really hard. And they have to hope that the, you know, the, the players will have more fun and, and have a new culture under Ron Washington. But that is a thin layer of hope. All right. There you have it. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. We'll be back next Tuesday, perhaps, unless Yamamoto signs. He's our last emergency pod domino yep. to fall. So if, if he signs sometime during this week, we'll be back. All right. Uh, that's it for today. My thanks to Adrian, to Sarah, to Taylor, to Hembo, to Sarah Langs, and to Jeff Passon. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one and done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.